Hello. Thank you. Good morning. You can. I'm excited to be here with you today. I do have some other appointments I have to get to, um, so I can't stay all that long. It is, after all, a very busy time of year for people like me. But I, where are my manners? Some of you don't know who I am. Let me introduce myself. I am the storyteller. Hold your applause. <laughs> I tell stories, important stories, stories that matter. I love stories. Stories, they inspire us, move us, change us. They lift us up out of the muck and the mire we often find ourselves in. They show us a new perspective, give us context for what we're dealing with. They change our perspective, give us a wider view. They give us wisdom. And stories are everywhere. Each of your lives is made up of a multitude of stories that, big and small, like a tapestry, form the larger picture of your life. And it can be easy to think that that's where it stops, that the interconnectedness of these stories within our own lives is as far as it goes. We can become so enamored with and worried about our own little stories, wise, but wise only to the here and the now, that we miss out on the fact that our story is actually about a lot more than just us. That our story is connected to the stories of those around us, those before us, those after us. And that if there is a story, there must be an author. There must be a master storyteller, so to speak. Not like me, someone much greater than I. And accepting that is the beginning of true wisdom. So I want to tell you a story today. And it is absolutely your story. Although maybe not in the way that you might think. It's our story. It's the story of mankind. Every other story is connected to this story. Like veins and arteries in your body all flow to and from your heart. So every other story flows to and from this story. Like streams into rivers, into the ocean. And so my job is to tell you this story with the hope that you might lift your head and squint the eyes of your heart to look as far forward as you can and as far backwards as you can to see that your story is a part of this story, a part of the story. And there, find Wisdom. Because I've said that this story is not just a story like any other story. It's not a fairy tale. It's not some isolated event in history found in some dusty old history book somewhere. It's much more than any of that. I've told you that this story at its core is a story of redemption, of grace. It's a love story about a prince who leaves his castle to go win back his bride. 
It's an adventure story about a hero who crosses into enemy territory to free the slaves held captive there. It's this epic tale of the deepest kind of love. Love that sacrifices all, gives all, shuns all for those that don't even deserve it in the least. And at the center of this story is a baby, yes, a a man, yes, a, a hero, yes, but much more than any of that, a God. But unlike any God you've ever heard of in any other religion, God's of wrath alone, God's of stone, God's far away, no. The one at the center of this story is much bigger than any of that. And so, I've endeavored to tell you this story from four distinct and separate vantage points. Not all at once, otherwise you'd miss lunch, and as I always say, that's not good for anyone. But four vantage points, that of the prophets, the shepherds, those called the wise men, and the angels, each one in its turn. In our first two tellings, I shared the vantage points of the prophets and of those lowly shepherds working the night shift outside of Bethlehem all those years ago. And we learn that God keeps his promises, but he plays the long game, so you have to be patient. And that Jesus the Messiah came for the poor. And the Christmas story is about God making something beautiful out of a mess. Today, I want to share with you the vantage point of the wise men. I know this by heart. I've told it so often. But my boss, the master storyteller, says that it's too important, this story to risk my own interpretation getting in the way. He said to stick to the script, so that's what I'll do. But interestingly enough, throughout the centuries, scholars, it's just another name for wise men, scholars have tried to remove this vantage point in particular from our story because it's so hard to believe. But... That's not the way this story works. You cannot change it because you struggle to believe it. You cannot redact that which you wish wasn't there. It is what it is. After all, does something cease to be true because you believe it to be false? I think not. But I digress. I know you didn't come here to hear my philosophical musings, so I'll read to you the story from the Magi's perspective, their vantage point. It goes like this. A star appearing out of nowhere and guiding our way on a journey that took almost two years. It seems impossible. Far-fetched and made up at worst. Strange and hard to believe at best. How could it be and, and why? But 
if you think about it, it's not all that extraordinary for him. He flung the first stars into existence. He set planets whirling around them. He created the idea of them, the idea of day and night, darkness and light. He did it in a few days with a word. How hard would something like this be for someone like that? It may seem far-fetched, but not if you have the right vantage point. Using a star to guide me and my friends for thousands of years would have been easy for him. He could have used our camels to speak to us and guide us. He had done that with a donkey and a prophet named Balaam before. He could have sent an angel. He had done that before too. You see, when you've spent your whole life looking at the stars and the planets in the sky, trying to understand them like I have, constantly surrounded by grandeur, enormity, immensity. Something like this is not so far-fetched. My name is Melchior. My friends and I have been called different names throughout the years. Kings, wise men, magi. Magi is probably the one that fits best. We're seekers of truth. And specifically, we look for that truth in the skies, although we are also well-read when it comes to prophecy and history. I guess that's where the wise men title comes from. My friends and I have also been said to be three in number, the three wise men. I can only assume that's because the only surviving account of our journey mentions three gifts that we brought for the king. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's always been interesting to me. I'm so used to reading carefully, poring over manuscripts and scrolls and prophecies, looking for the tiniest detail that might give a clue to something. My mentor was adamant that I not add my own thoughts, that I keep from making any assumptions whatsoever. And that's what we had been doing when the star appeared. We had been immersed in prophecies for years. All having to do with this coming king that was supposed to be more than any other king before him. Some of the prophecies short, only a few sentences long. A mention here or a mention there. And some long and written in story form, forcing us to figure out what was allegory and what wasn't. And this king was supposed to be born in Israel, although the prophecies said he would be more than just Israel's king, that his kingdom would cover the earth and span eternity. And as we approached what seemed to us to be the year of his birth, the star appeared. And I'll never forget the first time I saw it, I was filled with this awe. Someone greater than I, much greater than I, had put that star there. I immediately wanted to worship the one that moved the stars like this. My friends and I were certain we were to travel, no matter how long it took, to see and worship this new king. You see, we lived far away from Israel in the east, so it was not an easy journey. But for a king like this, it seemed worth it. 
And as we prepared and discussed what we would find, we talked of a palace, a celebrated birth, opulence, excitement. After all, this king's birth, the the Messiah, as the Jews called him, was foretold of not by a few of their own prophets, but by many. We thought we'd be going to a palace, so we brought gifts fit for a king. The most precious things we owned that we could travel with, shiny things, good-smelling things, expensive things. I personally brought the new king what I was sure he'd be honored to receive. We were a sight, that's for sure. Our camels laden with so much, our servants with us, we were a a large and strange-looking caravan. Along the journey, we faced many trials. Harsh terrain, wind that whipped sand into our faces like needles for weeks on end. Torrential downpours, freezing nights, and scorching days. People who sought our harm. All the while, I protected the gifts I had brought. They were precious. The best that I had, and I was sure the king would love them. I will not lie. More than once, I wondered if we were doing the right thing. But then when night came, I could see the star so clearly in the sky, so bright, and the awe returned. I remembered the prophecies, the promise of this child who would change the world, and I always came back to the thought of that creator behind it all. If he is indeed the one who made all that exists. How hard is a journey like this for someone like that? So I pressed on. We pressed on with a desire to worship the one who moved the stars. It took almost two years to finally reach our destination. The star never failed. It never wavered. It never blinked out, even for a moment. And it led us to Jerusalem, which made perfect sense to us because that was where the palace was. So we headed there. And when we came into town, we started asking people, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. We thought he would be easy to find. After all, the Jews had been blessed, favored beyond all other nations to have this king of kings born in their midst as one of them. We thought surely everyone would have been worshiping him already. That's what one does in this kind of situation, right? We thought we were late to the party. We were shocked to find that no one knew where he was. No one knew what we were talking about. Some recognized that we must be talking about the Messiah, but even they said he hadn't appeared yet. And some of them asked why it mattered to us, since we were not Jewish, and therefore the Messiah had nothing to do with us. I was appalled at their lack of knowledge, sickened that they had so completely missed it. The king had been born to them. They had been given this great and unique chance to worship him and welcome him, an opportunity all peoples of the earth would be envious of were they to understand it. And yet they hadn't done a thing. They were blind to his coming. 
the king of heavens and earth, the, the one who had come to set right all things that were wrong. The one who had spoken it all into existence had come, and it seemed no one had noticed. I thought for a moment maybe we were the ones who had missed it. Here I was bringing the best of my house, precious gifts to give this king, gifts I had protected over the long journey. Maybe we were the ones who were off base. Maybe they were right and we were too early. But then I looked up at the star, and I remembered. All we had studied, all we had seen, all we had been through, all that the maker of the stars had spoken to us through his prophets, all that had happened, and my resolve returned. I would, no matter the cost, worship this king or die trying. So we kept asking and kept getting nothing for days. No one knew where he was. And we got word that because of the commotion we were causing, Herod the Great, the ruler of the area under Caesar, had assembled all of the local chief priests and scribes, men like me and my friends, to figure out where the Messiah was to be born. News travels fast in a town like Jerusalem, a town full of people waiting for something to happen of note. We knew the answer to Herod's question, but he didn't ask us. The king had been born in Bethlehem almost two years before. We had just followed the start of Jerusalem, supposing that he had been moved into the palace by now. And that's what the scribes and the high priests told Herod. The Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, as it was known in the prophecies. It has since been said that they quoted the prophet Micah to make their point. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The whole thing struck me as odd. How could they be so right and yet so wrong? How could they know this prophecy but have missed the Messiah's coming altogether. But I didn't have time to figure it out because it was at that moment that a messenger from Herod himself came to where we were staying. We were being summoned. Finally, I thought, surely Herod would know where this young king was now. But when we were brought before Herod, it was strange. There was all this secrecy, and he seemed as clueless as everyone else. He asked us when the child was supposed to be born. We told him that we believed he had already been born, probably within the last two years. I expected Herod to be excited to find, to try to find, to try to help us find the Messiah, but he wasn't. He was very obviously troubled. It's clear to me now that instead of responding with joy and worship, to this great news, Herod was threatened. He was so caught up in his own little story that he was missing the magnitude and majesty of what was happening right in front of him. He had this amazing opportunity to lead his people in welcoming the king of heaven and earth, and yet blinded by pride and ambition, he missed it. 
He tried to cover it up by sending us to Bethlehem and saying he wanted to worship him too, the king. But I didn't feel he was being genuine. I told my fellow magi that. They agreed. But none of us could ascertain what was actually taking place and why things were so convoluted and different from expected. But when we left Herod and looked for the star where it had been the whole time, we found that it had moved. It rose up and began moving again as if our mission in Jerusalem was complete. We took great courage from this, believing that the Creator had used us for some purpose of which we were unaware. Again, my heart was filled with awe and longed to worship the one that moved the stars like this. Just as before, we packed up and left following that star and carrying all of our gifts with us, searching for the king of kings. I looked at the gifts I brought and thought, now's the time. Finally, I'll be able to honor the king with the best of my house. The star led us straight to Bethlehem. Not to the nice part of town either. It led us to where the poor people lived, barely getting by. Our caravan from the east stuck out like a sore thumb, but we just smiled and kept moving, following the star until it stopped. Right over a small, humble house. And we just sat there on our camels, dumbfounded for a moment. Our journey finally seemed to be complete. And then all of a sudden, all of us just began to shout with joy. It was like a dam broke in our souls, and we just began to rejoice like we'd never rejoiced before. Now, I don't know what my fellow magi were thinking, but I know what I was thinking. We made it. We finally made it. Inside that house is the one that moves the stars. Finally, my heart's desire can be filled, fulfilled. I felt like a man dying of thirst, staring at a pool of the most refreshing water. Like a starving man about to die, looking at a basket full of fresh, warm bread. I couldn't wait another minute. I jumped off of my camel and almost ran inside. And then I remembered who it was I had come to see and the honor he deserved. So I went back to my camel with the others and unpacked the gifts we had brought. And as I looked at my gifts, the most precious things I owned, they all of a sudden seemed so small. Would they be enough? Would they honor him like he deserves? I didn't think so. And yet it was clear to me that appearing before this king without gifts, coming to him empty-handed would be the greatest travesty ever committed. I simply could not do that. So I took the gifts I had, the ones that had just days before seemed priceless, but now looked almost common, simple, small. We walked up to the doors of the little house. One of the other magi with me suggested we knock. I thought it was a good idea. And when he knocked, the door was opened almost immediately. As I looked at the man standing in the door, one last doubt slithered into my mind. How could this be the house, the family, of the one who moves the stars? Just as quickly as the thought had come into my mind, 
It was chased out by the light of the star we had followed shining on the man's face through the open door. As he took in our little caravan, he smiled big and broad as if this was just another interesting day in a life filled with him. My friend began to introduce us, but the man simply ushered us in and pointed us towards a woman inside the house who was holding a young boy of about two years old on her lap. As my eyes were captured by his, I, I barely registered a change in light through the door we just entered. The star had gone out, its task complete. I immediately knew that this was the king we had searched for. We all crowded into the little house. What was the protocol? What should we do? What does one do in a situation like this, face-to-face with someone like this, the one that moves the stars? These questions were suddenly answered from the deepest part of my soul as if they had been locked there since the beginning of time, waiting until this moment to spring forth. You worship, my soul screamed. You bow down and worship. You give him everything that you have. And so that's what we did. We all fell down before him and worshiped. We laid the meager, simple gifts we had brought from the east in front of him. But more than that, we laid ourselves before him. Our gifts were his, but so were our very lives. We worshiped. I cannot describe adequately the feeling of worshiping the child who was more than a child. His parents told us that his name was Jesus. Fitting, I thought, since it means God saves. That's what Jesus was here for, to save us all. I wept and wept and wept at his feet every day during our stay. I was overcome with gratitude for this unparalleled opportunity to be in his presence. It was as if not just a star, but my whole life had led me to this moment. And it had. I had never felt so complete, fulfilled. As if the purpose I and every other person on the planet was created for was this. To worship this king, the one who moves the stars. When the time for our departure home arrived, I was reluctant to leave, as were the other magi. We would have stayed forever, but just as we had been led there, we felt clearly led back home. A dream warned us not to return the way we had come through Jerusalem. No doubt Herod was the cause of that. We heard later that he tried to kill the child king. But he must not have understood who he was. How does one go about killing one like that? I didn't think it was possible. His parents fled to Egypt for a time and later settled in Galilee, where the boy Jesus grew into a man. But much more than a man. As I've told you before, 
My job as the storyteller is not just to tell you the story, but to help you understand it, to explain it, to help you connect the dots. I don't have much to add today. Good storytellers know when to explain and when not to. But I've told this story hundreds of times. And every time I tell the vantage point of the Magi, I'm struck by the stark contrast between the Jews of Jesus' time and these Magi from the East. These wise men were certainly Gentiles, meaning that they weren't a part of the Jewish people, the chosen people of God. And yet, they were searching. Searching for the king. Searching for the one who moves the stars, as he so aptly put. And when they saw the star, they went all in. They gathered gifts fit for a king, and they traveled almost two years to worship him. And yet, those closest to it all, those with the most information, the most religious, those with the closest proximity to the event that would change the world, those with the most wisdom, some might say, missed it. Don't miss it. Don't be so consumed with your little story, thinking yourself wise because you know it so well and everyone else says your story is a great one, that you miss out on the story. Don't have your head down the whole time as if this is all there is, consumed with your own struggles, your own dreams, your own busyness. Lift your head. Look to the stars and see. See the creator behind them. See the immensity, the enormity, the grandeur. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That's wisdom. Listen, the one who moves the stars left heaven and came to earth for you and for me. A king like this, a God like this, you don't enter his presence empty-handed. You don't bring him your leftovers. You bring him the best of your house. Everything that you have, no matter how small or insignificant it looks. And you bring him you. All of your life, every piece of it. Every good thing, every failure, every hope, every dream. Listen, every person ever born was made to worship this Jesus. It's worth giving everything to make sure you don't miss 
your chance. The Jews, they didn't welcome Jesus when he was born. But these Gentiles from the east did. What about you and your family? Will you welcome him? Worship him? And give him what he deserves? Only you can answer that. But I pray that you will. A story like this takes more than one telling to convey. More than one vantage point to fully comprehend. That's why I'll be back next time with the last vantage point. A crowd favorite. The angels. Until then. As you sit there for a moment, I just want to expand on this a little bit. You know, last week we learned about shepherds who came, and they were the poor and the ones who uh, maybe some of us identify with. That sometimes they they weren't allowed to speak or be heard, their testimony not be given, but they had a job to do, and out in the fields. God invited him to the greatest birth in history. And then this week, we get to hear about the wise men who are on the, diff- on the other side of the scale, right? They were men who were revered. They were wise. And they had the means to make a trip of this magnitude over two years to travel to see and worship the new king. So it makes us think about our own lives and go, where am I at in my life? Where have I been or where am I going? And what am I going through? Is this whole Jesus thing just something new to me? Or have I been following him, but maybe I've withheld certain things? Or maybe I'm going through something that's just really hard and I'm struggling with my faith. And it's just a reminder that God called this mixed bunch of people to come and be with him as a baby boy. All this creation that he created One night, as he was born, he became the creator for us to die for our sins on that cross so that one day we can be with him in eternity forever, free of pain, free of sorrow, and free of mourning, and guilt, and shame, and the list goes on.
And so what I want us to do is as we sing this next song, as we sing about creation, as we think about the things that God has made, how he's made us, how he knit us together in our mother's womb, and how he knows every hair on our head, and how he knows every thought, and how he knows every struggle, and how he can help us.